I'm Dope's fearless leader and sober entrepreneur, Kelsey Moreta, and it's time to get real. Each episode, you'll hear raw conversations that feed your soul with entrepreneurs, movers, shakers, and honestly, just plain badasses. These awesome humans have navigated life's challenges and are creating a bright future. So let's dig in. You're listening to Dope's Soberpreneur. I am so excited to be here with you today, Maggie. We were introduced by yet another awesome sober founder, Lindsay of FitPros. I just love the sober community, always bringing people together. Maggie, you are an amazing human. You're in recovery from drug addiction and an eating disorder, but you've gone on to become a badass businesswoman with more than 10 years in the digital marketing and operations space behind you. You created your own consultancy to support other founders on their missions to change the world. I love it. I love you. I'm so excited to have you here. With that, a big, giant, warm welcome to Soberpreneur. Oh my gosh, Kelsey. Thank you so much for having me. You are one of the lights in my life currently, and I'm just so grateful to be here. And speaking of badass sober women who started badass companies, (laughs) is you to a T. So I'm just like really grateful to be here with you. I love it. Together, we are unstoppable. That is so true. Together, we are dope. Yes, (laughs) we are so dope. Speaking of dope... We have our Dope for Hope pledge, and usually at the beginning of the podcast, there's a lot of the pleasantries of, oh, hey, how are you? Good, good. I'm good. Everything's great. (laughs) I'm skipping that generic bullshit, and we're going to jump into it. So in the spirit of the Dope for Hope pledge, I want you to answer straight up when I ask, how are you? And give me one high and one low on how you're doing right now. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Today, I'm really good. I'm feeling pretty grounded today. I'm feeling really grateful today. It's a sunny day outside my window. I live in the outer sunset in San Francisco. The sun is shining. I've got a pit bull at my feet. (laughs) And like, it's actually, yeah, he's totally napping behind me. And I just, I feel really good today. And a high and a low, so good. My high is that I can see community again. I've got a plan to go to the dog park with a friend in a couple days. I've had friends over on my deck to play charades this past weekend. I mean, I'm reverting back to my like 13 year old self, but like laughing, smiling, hugging each other. It's a new world. It's a new world. We're all together again. So that's definitely a high and a low. I'm going through some stuff with my family. That's a little bit hard and that's okay. That's really okay. But there are some things going on in my immediate family that are a little bit challenging at the moment. And I'm trying to navigate how to show up for them and how to show up for one family member in particular. And it's a process. It's a challenge too. how much that like, you can say personal life or family life, these things are happening, but it really affects your work life, your day to day life. It's hard to keep this like, fine line when life just hits you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But it's also a really it's a blessing too. like the lows can be a blessing, meaning that I actually have tons of faith that as I show up for my family in the ways that feel like are authentic. And if I stay in integrity, and if I'm honest and lead with love, that ultimately the other side of this thing is an enhanced, more whole relationship. At least that's been my experience in sobriety so far in general, showing up for this moment, taking the next right action. It always ends exactly as it's meant to and usually ends pretty well. Yep. I love it. I love it. A low can be a high too. (laughs) There you go. There you go. True words spoken here. And I want to jump into that journey. So tell me, what was life like before recovery? Life before recovery. I was the kid that felt a little bit irritable, restless, and discontent. 
just in general, I felt this inner turmoil as far back as I can remember as a kid. And so that forced me to be a little bit competitive, extremely type A. I was always running toward a goal because I wanted that goal to make me feel better. I wanted that goal to be the thing that fixed me. I wanted that achievement to make me feel worthy and okay in my body, in this world. I was like a kid who was experiencing existential crises all the time, wondering why I was here in this planet. How early did that start? Like you're talking like a five-year-old thinking like, why am I on this earth? What is this rock doing spinning around the sun? (laughs) Oh my God. In my own five-year-old brain, it was absolutely like that, but obviously not using language like that. It was like being on the playground and looking around at all these kids who seem to be carefree and running around and in their own space and feeling comfortable or whatever. I was just, I didn't understand the comfort that I perceived other people to have even as a young kid. So I always wanted to, I was just questioning why I felt so uncomfortable. Everyone seemed like they were okay and I just didn't feel okay. Might've been a misperception, but I perceived that a lot of the people around me weren't experiencing that. So I was constantly battling myself, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I just felt like there's something wrong. And so when you ask about what it was like before getting sober, was a constant seeking of something that would make me feel a little bit more comfortable. And so when I started drinking alcohol and experimenting with drugs, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to make me feel better. This is actually doing the thing that I wanted. Those achievements weren't working. The relationship wasn't working. Whatever it was that I was reaching for to try to make me feel better, drugs and alcohol were like the thing that actually made me feel better (laughs) because I was not present. Being present felt painful. And so my life just revolved around reaching for a drug or a prescription pill or anything in that realm to ease my discomfort. My world got really small as a result, got really small. When you're like reaching for drugs and alcohol instead of connection and internal spirituality and your sense of wholeness of self and getting honest with yourself, like for me, how that functioned is that life just got really small and really dark. And even though I was doing things like working in corporate America and things looked okay on the outside in a lot of ways. On the inside, I felt crumbling and I felt extremely stuck and lost. And I really didn't recognize myself anymore by the end of the drinking and using. So it was not great to say the least. Yeah. On the better side now, I think one really important thing you touched on is this idea that even at a young age, you felt like you were the only one feeling this discomfort and this square peg round hole. Why am I not fitting everybody else? And It's just so important that stories like that keep getting shared because I also felt that way. You know, it's like so many people out there, we're all sitting around together thinking everyone else has it figured out and and feels great. And then we're just all secretly crumbling inside, feeling riddled with anxiety. At least a fair portion of the playground probably felt the same way as you. And because of that feeling and isolation, and as we grow because of the stigma, you know, when we get older, we don't talk about it. We don't share how we're feeling. And we, you and I both started to lean on other substances that helped to quiet things out, made you feel more comfortable. Like you said, like it just was, uh, I didn't have to be all on when I was blacking out. I got to be like life of the party, Kelsey, look how fun I am. And it didn't have to be this like kind of intensity that was the day to day in my brain. So 
very similar paths there. It's really, thank you for sharing. Also this idea of looking for outside validation, that next achievement. And it's a similar sort of like brain pattern that I see in folks I meet now in recovery, where it's, we really always wanted to be perfect, like always wanted to get it all and get it right and make everyone else proud. And it's funny coming into recovery, like your life starts to revolve around making yourself proud. What are you doing to make you happy? And I lost sight of that for a long time. Oh my gosh, you just put it so perfectly. (laughs) The desire to be perfect. Yeah. And I think in the program now, I don't know if you use this phrase too, but what I realized I was doing then was comparing my insides to someone else's outside. Those are apples to oranges. Mm -hmm. Like how I feel on the inside and how someone else looks externally are completely, they're not even, you can't compare them. What a beautiful thing in recovery to be able to look at someone and not compare anymore and just be like, hey, how are you? What's up? Mm -hmm. If you peel enough of the onion layers back, like there's something going on with everybody, whether them or a person that they love that's close to them, we're all kind of enduring something in this path. No matter how uh, perfect the filter looks or the Instagram feed is blowing up, it's not always the same story underneath. You talked a bit about kind of life before recovery, but what was that aha moment for you to be able to go and say, I'm making a change. I'm going to do this thing. I got to stop. Yeah, there was the progression. There was a progression because I just every day felt like like I was sort of a robot in a lot of ways. I would wake up in the morning, I would take a pill of Adderall and get it going. If I felt stressed, I would take an Ativan. I know I'm getting specific with the medication now, but I just why not share it? And then to go to bed, I would take an Ambien. And it was like this cycle for me. And there was abuse around these medications too. It wasn't like, oh, I'm just taking as prescribed. It was like I'm going to take as much as Maggie wants (laughs) whenever she wants it. But then you add alcohol on top of that. And I was no longer a human being. Truly, I was not me. And I remember flying back to my mother's house in Charleston, South Carolina. It was in the, it was November of 2015. And my whole family flew in for Thanksgiving. And I was very sick. I was slurring my words. I scared them. And they sat me down as a family and they were like, we don't know what's going on with you, but we can't be in relationship with you until you figure it out. And basically left it at that. And I flew back to the West Coast and then really didn't have my family in my life for quite some time, like six months or something. What was going through your head in that initial, like you leave the family and you're like, F, you guys don't know what's up. 100%. Well, it's like, F, you guys don't know, right, what's happening with me. But there was this internal, complete recognition that this is the beginning of the end of life as I'd known it with drugs and alcohol. Yeah. The escapades. The escapades. But I wasn't ready. It wasn't the Mm -hmm. aha moment. It was the beginning. It was the, it precipitated the aha. But basically for the next six months, I didn't have my family in my life. My mom didn't call me on Christmas. I called her and my brother didn't call me. I, I basically lost them. And I say this to them now. I'm just like, how grateful I am that they they had the courage to do that. To be like, no, we can't do this with you. We don't know what's happening, but we're not on board. And you need to get your shit together. Without that moment, I don't know if I would have hit my aha moment. I doubt I would. I actually know that I wouldn't have. It's like we're like these hard rocks that you just got to keep or an iceberg. You got to keep the ice pick slowly breaking it down until you just finally crack. And- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tough to get through, but it takes every step along the way. Every step. And I remember Kelsey and I'll just, I'll stop with this aha moment, but 
I woke up on my birthday on June 30th of 2016. And I woke up and I was like, holy shit, my life is never going to change. This is not going to change. I kept hoping that one morning I would wake up and everything would be okay. That it would be rainbows and butterflies. I would be employable. I would feel peaceful on the inside. I would not have any body image issues. I would have a good relationship with food and my family and a partner and my friends. I would be on time. Is that not how it happens? I thought we just, <laughs> when does that rebirth happen? I don't know. Right? It was like I was waiting for the miracle. Yeah. And I woke up on my birthday and I was turning 31. And I realized I was like, nothing is going to change. It was like all of a sudden the clarity was this. I can't live like this anymore. I don't know what to do. I think I'm just going to try to change everything and see what happens. And there you go. I love this. I use that word as well when I talk about the moment I decided to get sober, this like clarity comes through where you're just like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And it's funny that no one else can really force you to get to that place. Had a lot of people like my Nana over the years of my sort of problem drinking would send these letters. Like I would get, I was like, oh God, I know this is one because something bad had happened, got hospitalized, got a ticket, whatever it was. Nana was going to write me a letter about my drinking. And I was like, oh, God, you have to read it. And you're like, you feel so guilty. And then I'd shove it in a drawer and pretend like I'm fine and I'm just going to fix it. And then all of a sudden, like on your own, much like you did, you just come to this point being like, I'm good. I just don't want to do this anymore. Let's try something else because this isn't going to work for the long run. We need all those Nana letters to get us there. I know. All the Nanas out there, don't stop writing your troublesome granddaughter. She needs the letters. Yeah. It's funny you say this too. My grandmother sat me down when I was 19 and said, point blank, and this is someone, this is a woman that I think about every day as being an inspiration. She literally, when I think about my grandmother, my whole heart swells up because she didn't even get a high school you know, diploma and then became an ambassador. She's like one of those like just powerful, incredibly driven. She's a woman that, that will forever be who I aspire to in my mind. But I remember she sat me down. And she said, you are wasting your life. Mm. And I wasn't ready then. But that moment too, just like your Nana, we need those moments then ultimately look back and be like, oh my God, thank you. Thank you for saying it like that so clearly to me because it led me here. So we talked a lot about the support systems that got you on the path to recovery, but what support systems did you lean on in those early days? And do you continue to lean on to stay in active recovery? Yeah. When I first started on this journey, I, I headed straight to meetings and that was what I needed. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days in the beginning to, to stay sober. And I am part of a, an anonymous group, but inside of that group, I got a sponsor and she asked me to call her every day for 90 days. And she asked me to call other women. I went to women's meetings because it was really important for me to start to figure out how to build really robust female friendships and to start to craft and create a familial environment for myself within the sober community. I did everything that was suggested to me by sober women in my community, truly, whether that was to meet them for a workout at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning or be a greeter at the meetings. I would go to meetings 30 minutes early whenever I had a commitment and greet people at the door. I would do setup at meetings. I'd be putting chairs out for people to come and sit down. And it was actually so interesting. Those things may sound menial, but to me, they actually helped me build self-esteem. I needed every ounce of that process. And I still do to build self-esteem. 
right? I talk about that like little girl who didn't feel worthy and somehow putting chairs out for a meeting where everyone here is just trying to stay sober and hold each other up actually built the self-esteem that I was looking for that felt like I was growing from the inside out. I was doing the work from the inside out rather than the outside in. And so I still lean on those exact principles being of service. Part of the mission of sobriety is to be of service in general. It's like that perspective shift. It's like, how can I get outside of myself and try to do something for somebody else for once? And I just, yeah. So the, the principles that were laid out for me in early sobriety are the principles that I still go back to now, keeping it simple, one step at a time, one day at a time, being of service. Not to mention having a therapist. <laughs> that helps too. Let's be real. Added bonus. Yes. Those are very needed. That's awesome. You go with what you know. This path for you brought you to where you are. And it's nice to have that resolve and commitment to stick with it and know that it'll keep you on this path. I want to talk more about like this entrepreneurship jump that you took, but I think it's important to connect it right now to this idea of like always wanting to be perfect, always want to make everyone proud. How do you feel that you've channeled that sort of into entrepreneurship for the good and the bad of it? If I stay in a place where I'm thinking about my clients, the companies that I work with, and being of service to them, if it's not about me, if I take me out of the equation, it's okay. So I want to do well. I want to do well because I want my clients to succeed. Like I want them to scale. I want them to feel supported. I want them to feel like I am consistently doing research to bring things to the table that might benefit them as a whole. And if I stay in that place and that desire to be perfect, that like perfectionism kind of people pleasing piece of my history and my puzzle, I get relief from that because it's not about me. It really isn't. And I actually have this deep seated belief that if I continue to hearken back to that, like the mission of being of service, that my desire to want to be perfect, it doesn't go away. It'll never go away. But I have these practical applications of like perspective shift that I can reach to to try to alleviate that instead of thinking about myself. Because in corporate America, when I was drinking and using, I was always thinking about me. I was always thinking about Maggie. I was like, when am I going to get the next title? When am I going to get the next pay bump? And like all of that made me so unhappy. You know, it felt so out of alignment with who I actually am. And so the gift of my business is that it's my opportunity to like not have it be about Maggie. I do struggle sometimes where I'm like, do I need to add a specific proprietary software layer to my digital agency scale at a massive rate? And like that might come, absolutely might come. That is not off the table. But like today, that's not happening. And if I actually can think about things in that way, like grateful for what I've got right now, not future tripping, that's what we call it, like thinking about the future and being like, I'm never going to get that thing. And if I just stay grounded in the present moment, think about being of service to my clients, like I actually am okay. It's okay. It's more than okay. I actually have joy in the work that I do. Like I feel bright and like a little kid. I'm just so excited to wake up and do work. Like (laughs) I really am. So awesome. I love it. I love it. I really like this idea of connecting it to, in a sense, like your mission, right? Like your purpose for this being finally Maggie focused on everyone else instead of being focused on yourself and that it's this, it's a gift to keep working on it and want to do that. And similarly, reframing things in my head when I get asked, oh, what keeps you going on the hard days? It is the mission, right? It is this like purpose around trying to break the stigma around mental health and addiction recovery and getting to do that through cookie dough is freaking cool. Like it's super fun. It's like my dream. Like I love desserts and somehow this is my life. You manifested it. (laughs) I manifested the shit out of this. And then the perfectionism thing really does come out for me. It's a mix of like workaholism as well. I really think like 
when I stopped drinking, Dope became my new outlet. Funny that it's named that, but Dope, the company, became my... It became my new focus where it was like I was putting all this energy into blacking out and drinking. And then when I got sober, did a year of kind of soul searching and whatnot and wound up starting dope in 2017, I got to just like really pour myself into this. And I do have that running hamster wheel of like imposter syndrome of, oh, am I going to be like the next Sarah Blakely or not? Overworking myself because it's all on my shoulders to make it happen as fast as humanly possible. And it's like a self-induced pressure. No one else is telling me I have to build a billion dollar cookie dough brand, but I want to do it. I want to be a household name. You are doing it. In the process. Try not to die through it. So mental health and these discussions are really good for me to keep reminding myself to pull off a little bit, trying to set some more boundaries. Next question is, what are you most proud of in your life? Oh, damn. I just dropped a bomb. (laughs) I wasn't even going to lead you into any ideas there. Yeah. Looking back at everything you've done. I'm actually proud of a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds ridiculous, but I am. I will say this. Being sober is rad because I have this opportunity if I stay sober to heal parts of myself that needed healing and tending to when I was younger, but didn't have the tools to do so. And I want to say this. The thing I'm most proud of is that I'm probably going to cry. I'm proud that I started a business, right? I'm proud of the women that I'm able to like work with and employ for my business. I'm proud of the way that we try to show up for our clients. But what I'm most proud of is over the last two years, I've been able to heal um, uh, the relationship or my relationship to the dysfunctional relationship that I had with my father growing up. There's a lot of layers to that. And it's taken a lot of work. and And I'm just so grateful to be sober that I can do that work because that work ultimately enables me to step into my power as, you know, a woman and a whole human being and someone who knows who she is and to be able to speak with clarity and purpose and to be direct about my needs and my goals and my pain. And prior to doing that work, I think I was still hiding parts of myself because that part hadn't healed. And so I still felt unworthy and confused and scared. And I'm just so grateful to be sober so that I can, what, like you talked about, peeling the layers back of the onion. This was a huge layer and still is a huge layer. And a big part of it is peeled off now and is starting to heal, like truly heal. And I feel light again. (laughs) And I'm smiling while I'm tearing up, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's a beautiful gift that you got the chance to even be present enough to think about working through it and to take the steps to do it. And yeah, what an awesome thing. And it's so important, this idea, like life is short. You only get one. You really got to make the most of it. And sobriety lets you kind of really take each day and try to make the most to feel all the feelings, like try to work through your stuff the best you can. And at least you get the chance to do that. So it's on everyone to take that first step to get whatever this substance or whatnot is out of your life and get on that path. But then it's our responsibility to really do the healing work. So I'm super proud of you for taking that step and making amends, if you will, through a relationship that was troublesome with your dad. You're awesome. (laughs) In summary. Thank you, Kelsey. So are you. So are you. So much to be proud of already in these 30 something years of your life. 30 something. I like that. We'll go with that. 29 forever. (laughs) (laughs) I celebrate my 29th birthday for the seventh 
time in a couple of weeks. There, so there you go. go. That's where it's at. <laughs> Speaking of birthdays, actually, before I jump in on this question, I honestly like my sober birthday, I think a little bit more than my regular birthday. So I want to ask, like, how do you celebrate your sober birthday? <laughs> I've celebrated it a different way each time. I think my first one, I know my first one, I celebrated it paddleboarding with a bunch of girlfriends. And then we hit a meeting after just so awesome. And then this year I celebrated, I celebrated this year by being really quiet. I was quiet. I meditated. I didn't do anything that was like external. I just, I just let myself be. And that was cool. I think that's the rad thing about sobriety. There's no right way to, to celebrate or to work through things. We just, we can just do them as they feel right. So I, I celebrated a different way each year. Hmm. I also had a pretty quiet last one. Everything was still shut down. So it was also just an internal reflection on how nice it is to have gone another year into sobriety. So super awesome. Yeah. Back to my 100 years question. We got diverted because it was very exciting to talk about sober birthdays. Yeah. But if you were to fast forward 100 years, what do you want your legacy to be? What will people remember about Maggie Valunas? Oh, man. 100 years from now. Geez. Hopefully people will be on their own hype and not thinking about me at all, honestly. Groundbreaking <laughs> answer. Truly, truly what I hope. But like in terms of how I want to show up in the world, just like consistently one day at a time doing my best to be present in a weird way. I don't really have any desire to be remembered in any specific way other than like the immediate friends, family, people that were in my life. If I end up having kids and they have kids, I want them to be like, grandma was really fucking quirky and she didn't take any shit and she loved us very much. But if it has to do with my business, God, I think I would want my employees to just always feel like they had a place to, to learn and to grow and to be heard actually listen to what their passions are and to give them a platform to become who they want to become in the workplace. I don't think that was a straight answer, but I think that's my answer. It was a straight answer and a great answer. So mental health being super critical to running a business, but it's often overlooked in conversations on how to be successful. And for me, I do have my own sort of like a mental health recipe card with these different ingredients that I need to keep myself grounded. And as of late, I've been really having to try to get myself back on track because I haven't been getting enough of my ingredients in the mix. But I'd love to know from you, like, what are those ingredients on your mental health recipe card? My mental health recipe card looks like this. It is a little bit of meditation, physical exercise for sure whether that's running or being in the ocean or doing yoga or going for a walk, being in nature. Absolutely. I find that I can spin up a million different reasons why the day is not going well or something is not <laughs> to my liking. And then I go outside and I, you know, I live three blocks from the beach and I hit the ocean and I'm running along the beach and I take my hands and I put them in salt water and I douse my face with it. Like, it's just everything, not everything melts away in that moment, but that's the beginning of the end of my spin cycle of negativity. That's okay. Like deep breath. Everything is actually okay. I'm in nature. It also is reaching out to friends and telling them the truth. It's also flipping my perspective around to service. How can I be of service to someone else? It's like honesty in all areas of my life, whether it's friends, partner, colleagues, sharing my truth is a big part of my mental health process. I also have a therapist and I meet with her every two weeks. And it's really important for me. 
she always reflects back to me that no matter how bad I'm feeling, that I'm okay and that I'm doing all right. And that my perspective is oftentimes skewed, if not always. What else? Mental health. You know what I mean? Get some sleep, drink some water, eat some food. That's what my first sponsor always told me. You know, I would hit her up and I'd be like, this is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. And she'd pause and she'd say, have you eaten enough today? Have you gone outside and exercised? Have you drunk some water? Did you get enough sleep? If any of those things are a no, why don't you try that and then call me back? A good reset. Nice reminder. It's the simple thing. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Maggie. I think one more exciting thing I can't wait to hear your answers on before we go today. It's time for our raw truth game. (laughs) So these are some rapid fire questions to reveal some raw truths about what makes you, you. So are you ready? Oh, man. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. All right. Quick ones. (laughs) What's your biggest guilty pleasure? Oh my God, you're going to die. It is actually cookie dough. <laughs> it is legit. It's legitimately cookie dough. And I have two, two guilty pleasures in relationship to cookie dough. There's a gluten-free cookie dough that's around the corner from my house, other avenues, and then there's dope. But legitimately, it's cookie dough. I had to start cutting it out because I was eating too much of it, Lizzie. Did you overindulge in the one that said it was gluten-free? Because you're like, oh, this I can surely eat. 100%. I was like, this is not real. So I'm fine. Yeah, cookie dough. Okay, next one. How would your friends describe you? Oh, man. My friends would describe me as extremely loving. I think high energy. No. (laughs) For sure quirky. For sure quirky. (laughs) Yeah. What's the thing that makes you the happiest? The thing that makes me the happiest is being outside in the sun and nature. What's one thing you can't live without? My community. In a sense of being spiritually carried, like faith. I love it. What's the thing you could live without? In an ideal world, the thing that I could absolutely live without is clothes. Like, I think they're stupid, truly. Nice. I really do. (laughs) What's the song you sing in the shower? God. Usually it's a Dixie Chicks song. I'm going to go with Wide Open Spaces. Great song. Great song. Yeah, bring it back. 1998. Love it. I used to have a Dixie Chicks poster in my room when I was like eight years old. No. (laughs) I'm telling you, I actually put the Dixie Chicks album 1998 (laughs) on last week. I played it on repeat like for two days. It's incredible. It reminds me of growing up. Yeah. Last one. What goal do you most want to achieve this year? I want to be able to ride the face of a wave consistently in warm water without having to wear a wetsuit. So I want, basically what I'm trying to say is I want to go somewhere warm and I don't want to have to wear a wetsuit and I want to be able to ride the face of a wave like consistently and comfortably because I've discovered that I really like to surf even though I'm like so incredibly beginner and vibes, but I just, it's so much fun. And so that's what I want to do. I want to be able to surf in warm weather. That is awesome. You are incredibly badass. You are (laughs) like, she said the face of a wave. I'm like, what does that even mean? Oh, surfing. (laughs) That means not catching the white water. That means like actually surfing an actual wave. You're only getting cooler. Like everything you keep saying, making it seem cooler. Maggie, if anyone needs surf tips or any other reason they'd love to get in touch with you, this is probably the most critical (laughs) part of the podcast. Now that they've heard all the awesome stuff you're up to, where can they get in touch with you? They can get in touch with me. Our website is mcv-consultants.com. My email is maggie, M-A-G-G-I-E at mcv-consultants.com. 
just, yeah, hit me up. I'd love that. Yeah. Love it. Well, extra special thanks to you for coming on. You got super real with me today. I think it was just such a gift to have you on here and have you be so open and vulnerable to share stories that real people and real families out there who are struggling with what you went through years back when you were approached about needing to make a change. So thank you for being this amazing light and inspiration today. And to all the listeners out there, I hope you're feeling inspired to go out and make a change in the world. Until next time, I'm Kelsey, and that was Dope's Soberpreneur. Keep it raw, keep it real. Thank you, Maggie. You're amazing. But wait, there's more. Are you drooling after all this cookie dough talk? Jump over to dope.com. It's D-O-U-G-H-P.com to order some of our edible and bakeable cookie dough. You can use code keepitreal for 10% off at checkout. Thanks, and have a dope day.